This is the Fearless Presentations podcast, the fastest, easiest way to reduce public speaking fear. Want to absolutely eliminate public speaking fear? This podcast is the answer. Here's the guy who literally wrote the book on Fearless Presentations, Doug Stannard. Welcome back to the Fearless Presentations podcast brought to you by the Leaders Institute and fearlesspresentations.com. I'm your host, Doug Stannard, president of the Leaders Institute, and this podcast helps people just like you get rid of public speaking fear and increase your success by increasing your confidence when you communicate. Today, we have part two of a two-episode topic. Uh, the step-by-step process that I went through to go from a poor, skinny trailer park kid from Arkansas to one of the top public speaking coaches in the world. So hopefully my story will be both inspirational and informative to you. This podcast is brought to you by fearlesspresentations.com. I, I, I know a lot of you have subscribed to the podcast. You know, a lot of you who have subscribed to the podcast are graduates of the two-day Fearless Presentations class. And a lot of you are actually folks who maybe looked into attending one of the Fearless Presentations classes but wanted to kind of listen to a few podcasts to see if we were really on the level before you actually paid the fee, which is fine. That's great. That's what it's here for. One of the great things about being a graduate of the program, though, is that you can come back and take the class a second time for free as long as we have space available in the class. So if you're a graduate and you're looking for a refresher, make sure and check out the schedule of upcoming classes on fearlesspresentations.com. If you're actually one of those folks who are just checking us out, you may want to if you're actually looking at taking a class with us anyway, you might want to hurry because anytime I remind graduates on a podcast about that policy, the all of a sudden the spaces fill up very quickly. So if you're looking at taking a class, make sure and go very quickly and register for one, and hopefully we'll have space available. So let's get started with today's podcast. So today's episode is a continuation of the podcast from last week. And the last, uh, I was basically on that podcast telling you my story about how I went from, you know, being a terrible speaker, a skinny kid who couldn't do anything really to being a a top motivational speaker. And I kind of told my story about how I had that tremendous failure my uh, junior year in college where I had a, a tough time actually delivering a presentation for a big oil company and how I came back the second year, a year later, really less than a year later, and gave a second speech. And I was going to pick right, so our podcast is going to pick up right at that spot where I left off last week. So here you go. This time I was going to be have to, I was going to have to speak in front of like 600. <laughs> and so now all of a sudden I'm going, oh man. So I, and I knew, but I, I remember the vow that I made as I am not going to let public speaking fear cost me this opportunity. Basically, this was an opportunity for me to, uh, unlike before, where I was just going to be able to kind of promote myself to one company. Now I've got 600 potential new people that could hire me when I graduate from college. And man, I did not want to screw this up. So so uh, I, I began studying. And, and the first, I, I read a book from cover to cover. It was called Fear the Fear and Feel the fear and do it anyway. 
and it was a phenomenal book. It was one of those things that it was one of those kind of life changing experiences. And I also read the book How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And um, uh, so, so I, I was I started reading and I started uh, practicing more and more. So I, I, I was able to kind of design a, a pretty good, you know, three and a half minute speech. Added some humor in it this time, and I just practiced that thing over and over and over and over and over again. I, I had my delivery down. Pat. So the night of the convention, I strategically waited until just the right point in the agenda, just a few minutes before I was going to go on stage. And I went over to the head of the intern program at ARCO. So this was the person who chose not to interview me a few months prior to that, to the meeting. So, and I thanked her for allowing me to work for the company the prior year. And, uh, and we made some small talk uh, uh, for, for a couple of minutes. And, and eventually it got to the point where she asked me what I was doing there at the meeting, you know, because it really was kind of odd for a, a person, a student anyway, to come to one of the big conventions. Some students did, but it just, it just wasn't very common. Um, most of the folks who were there were, you know, had been in the, the business for 10, 15, 20 years. And uh, and just about it was perfect. I mean, I couldn't have timed this better because just about the time that she asked me that question, the person came on stage to all of a sudden the lights kind of dimmed down. The person came on stage to to uh, present me with my award. So I, I excused myself and I made my way to the to the stage and just and and I got up on stage. I, I think I did it pretty well. I mean, I, I I got some really good feedback. It was really short and sweet. Lots of energy. It was fun. I was funny. You know, basically a totally different perception of where I was just just you know twelve months before that, and uh, and so after I kind of nailed it on stage, I was really feeling good about myself. I, I I went back over to the woman from Marco and and I said, oh, I'm so sorry about that. Sorry for the interruption, but you were saying. <laughs> and I just kind of waited for her to respond. It was priceless. I mean, it was one of those things that that um, okay, I was it was probably petty, you know, but. You know, I wanted to show her that, hey, one mistake that, you know, I made one mistake, but you made a much bigger mistake in not inviting me back. So I wanted, wanted to kind of prove to her. And I, and I think uh, over the years, the, the success that I've had have probably kind of proved that. Um, interestingly enough, though, uh, three years after I graduated, I, I went back to the, to the office that I'd, I'd, I'd worked at at ARCO. And they had downsized dramatically by then. So when I was in that office, there were 300 people that basically did what I did as a, as a landman. So there are 300 landmen in the in the uh, in the office in the year that I worked there, or the summer that I worked there. Three years later, they had three. So they went from 300 to three. And I, in fact, a lot of the friends that I had there that I'd, I'd worked with and, and had a great experience with, they'd worked for that company for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. They lost their jobs, and, and they had to pretty much start over from scratch. So I realized what a blessing that I had that I'd received by not getting asked to come back that summer. So, you know, the old um, Garth Brooks song, Unanswered Prayers, you know, some some of God's greatest gifts are those unanswered prayers. So, um, you know, so, so I, I guess lesson six is probably, you know, success is really the best revenge. So just go out and succeed. That's the best way to, to get revenge. Um, what happened, though, was that that public speaking fear that I had that previous year, it, it really led to my transition in career. So, since I had such a, a great experience with Dave's company in Denver, when I graduated, I, I worked for a small oil company in West Texas that was owned by a, the former mayor of a little town called Big Spring. And 
they uh, and it would it was just like Dave's company, just like Herbally, where where I, you know I was I reported directly to the owner of the company, so I was learning fantastic information about how to run a business and and how to do things the 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 correct way in a business setting. So it's totally different from the corporate gig that I had had, you know, a couple years or three years prior to that. So um, it, the big challenge, though, at that time was that the price of oil had dropped down to about $16 a barrel, maybe $16.50 a barrel. So it was it was pretty low. And I, I remembered when I was at Arco, they, they told me that if, if oil, the price of oil was under $50, they couldn't make a profit. And as it kind of went down further and further, that was where companies like Dave's were able to come in and and uh, and and make a profit where some of the bigger companies couldn't do it. But once it got down to $16.5 a barrel, even the small companies couldn't make a whole lot of money there. So it was, it was, it was a matter of waiting. It was a waiting game. A lot of companies were shutting in these wells. And so there wasn't as much business, especially for, for a land work. And so I knew that sooner or later that my boss was going to have to let me go because I, I, I could see the numbers. I could see that the number of contracts that we were getting weren't nearly what they were when I when I started and, and they were kind of slowing down. So still one of my friends is one of my friends from college who lived in the same town and he was he was in sales. He had gone into sales right after graduating from from college. And he said, man, Doug, with your with your personality, you know, you you'd make a killing in sales. You should go into it. But I was kind of nervous. I didn't know exactly how to. I, I, the only sales experience that I had was, you know, back when I was in elementary school and and I sold candy bars. I was basically my only sales experience, and I remember how uncomfortable I was doing it. So I wasn't really sure that was going to be a good career change. But but I, I just saw the money that Troy was making, so I I, I figured I should probably experiment with it. And it really wasn't a, a tough choice to make because I knew that I had to do something. I knew that it was just a matter of time before before um, my, my boss was going to have to let me go. It just wasn't enough work. So so I, I decided to look for some help. So I was flipping through the yellow pages. You know, this was, of course, this was back before the internet. And I came across sales recruiter. I'm thinking, oh, wow, okay, a sales recruiter. Well, if somebody is, is actually recruiting salespeople, then they would probably know how to train a salesperson or, or you know, give, at least point me in the right direction. So I was just about to call the number, and right underneath the header of sales recruiter was the header sales training. And I'm like, well, duh, okay, sales training. But you know, being in West Texas, there weren't a whole lot of options. So there was one company listed underneath the, the header of sales training. It was Dale Carnegie Training. And I remembered back, you know, wait a minute, three and a half years ago, I read that book by Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People, and it really helped me in that public speaking gig that I had. So maybe this was a maybe it was a sign, right? So I called it. I called the number right away. Uh, went, uh, met with the with the instructor for the classes there, and um, and we, we I think we met for coffee, and and it, she assured me that if I you know paid the eight hundred and ninety five dollars, I think is what it was at the time, which I looked that up. That's about that's about. 20, almost 2200 in today's dollars, you know, so it was a significant amount of money for me back then. And so if I paid that fee and then completed the entire three-month course, uh, she said that the class would definitely help me become a, a good salesperson. But as soon as she said that, though, uh, I, you know, my, my initial response was, uh, how much and how long, you know, 
what? I mean, that was just at a tremendous amount of money and a tremendous amount of time. Three months just seemed like a long time to, to go through a class. And um, But, I mean, she, she looked me straight in the eye and she said, hey, if the class is important enough for you and if it's important enough for you to succeed in this new career, that you'll come up with the time and you'll come up with the tuition. And I knew that I needed help and I was pretty sure that she would be able to help me. Uh, so, you know, I, I looked her back in the eye and I said, you know what, I'll be there. I'll find some way I'll be there. And the class was, was going to start in three weeks. And I had at the time, I think I had about $300 in my bank account. So didn't have a whole lot of money. Didn't have a whole lot of time to come up with the additional funds. Um, so I, I traveled a lot in the job that I was working at. I traveled a lot, uh, but I was going from, from, you know, small county courthouses in, in West Texas, from one to the other. But, but the neat thing about it was that I got a travel per diem. So they would give us, I think it was like $35 a day, maybe it was $25. It wasn't a lot anyway, but it was a little bit of money. And what I figured out that I could do is I, I just kind of bought, brought peanut butter and jelly sandwiches with me for that, for that three weeks. And I, I, I took that per diem and kind of put it into my bank account and slowly it kind of creeped up a little bit. By the time that the class started though, I was still about $150 short of what I needed to, to uh, join the class. And so I remember it was a, it was a big struggle for me because I remember going to the ATM with my credit card and sticking that credit card in there and punching in my pin number on the credit card. So the credit card, not debit card. So a credit card and getting a cash advance for that hundred, for an extra $150 to, so I could put it in and, and, uh, and take the class. And one of the best investments I ever made though, because when, um, I, I showed up at the class and, um, Marianne, the lady who was the, um, the instructor, she, she was really shocked when she saw me cause it, it took her, I think it, because it had been a few weeks since, since we had had coffee, I think it took her a few minutes to remember who I was. And I said, I, I, I don't know if you remember me, but I'm Doug Standard. You know, I, I kind of met, I met you three weeks ago at, at, uh, at the, the coffee shop and she said, Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, um, and I, and I presented her with a check. I said, I, if there's still a space in the class, I'd like to, I'd like to join. And I, her mouth kind of dropped open because she looked at me and she said, you know, a lot of people tell me that they're going to follow through, but very few people actually do that. And so I think that was one of my other life lessons that I kind of picked up on is that you keep your word and you're going to gain respect from the, the people who really matter. So the class did take three months to complete, and after about the first four weeks, so I went to my boss and I quit. I, I was I, I, had, I, I was. I think I thought that I had enough information that would help me in, in my new career, and I was right. You know, so I, I. By the way, my boss was really relieved that that I quit because he he knew what I knew. He knew that that sooner or later I was going to have to fire him, and he just didn't want to have to do that to me. And so, uh, so we we kind of parted on on really good terms, and and I got my first job. As a door-to-door salesman, you know, being a, being brand new to sales, not having any experience, there weren't a whole lot of opportunity out there. And interestingly enough, the first company that I worked for was a, a company in West Texas, and the boss, my first boss, was a guy named Scott Yancey. If you've ever seen the the TV show Flipping Vegas, the guy who flips houses in in Las Vegas. He was my first boss. He was my first sales manager. And at, at the time, we were working for his brother's company, for Scott's brother's company. And, and this was back in the early days of satellite TV where the, the direct TVs and, and um, uh, Dish Network and all those were, were just coming out. And so a lot of these companies were, were being created to kind of meet that new demand to get away from cable companies and, and go to satellite. And so I was basically selling satellite dishes door to door. That was my first, my first job. And 
I was there for about six months, and uh, and and within from from day one until that that six month mark, I ended up becoming the top salesperson that they had. Now, I I just had a knack for it. It was just one of those things that that um, I was just using the skills that I had developed in that leadership class, or that I was developing in that leadership class that I was taking that Marianne was teaching me. And I was just applying them in the real world, and and it was working pretty well. I was the, the the folks that I was selling to were folks that wanted what I what I was offering, and and so I was helping them solve a, a challenge that they had, and so it was a great win win for everybody. I was helping them cut their costs down, their their household costs, and they were getting more choices. So it was a it was a, a pretty easy sell in a lot of cases, but. Um, with about six months after I after I um, started though, and I I just become the the top sales guy, all of a sudden I walk into the office one day and Scott's not there and his brother is and I knew something was kind of odd but I but it would I didn't know exactly what was going on. Turned out Scott had moved to Las Vegas <laughs> I guess to start his real estate career, and and apparently it was a very quick move. It was one where he didn't give his brother a lot of notice. And so his brother was kind of left hanging. He didn't have a, a, anybody to manage. And he knew that I had a college degree. He knew that I was a, a, had been pretty successful in the short time that I was there. And he reluctantly kind of offered me the sales management position. He, he offered me Scott's job. And and I was I was kind of shocked, you know. It was number one because uh, um, I was I, I really only had six months of sales experience. I had no management experience, but I, I'm it was a it was an increase in in pay and and that was one thing that I kind of needed to to get out of debt and and kind of get back on the right track. And what was it? What was nice about that position though was that. I got my first bonus check the next month, 30 days after I started as the sales manager and, and, um, morale was up, you know, people were, were we were, you know, we, we've just, we were having a good time. We were having fun. It was interesting. It was, it was a neat job. And, and I was hiring people left and right because there was such a demand for what we had. And, um, my, my bonus check came in. So this was in addition to my salary and my own commission, cause I was still making sales myself. I got my bonus check. My bonus check was bigger that month than what I had been making at the oil company when I left six months earlier. So that was that was just my bonus part. That was that didn't include my salary and my commission. And I, I remember calling up Marianne. I called up the, the lady who taught my leadership class and I said, hey, this stuff really works. I mean, this is I've only been doing this for a few months and and uh, and I'm already making way more. I'm, I'm doubling and tripling my income, uh, what seemed like at will. So I, I and it started me on a roll. I, a, a short time after that, I think it was maybe a year or so later. Got recruited by an advertising company to come and, and work for their company as a as a as a salesperson, uh, not as management. But it was still it was it was an even bigger jump in pay than what I was making with my bonus checks and everything. So I mean, every time I was every time I was I was being recruited to go to a new company, they were offering more and more, and I was and and the opportunities were just increasing. And after working for that advertising company for a couple of years, I I I I, I said, hey, you know this this has really changed my life. This is moved me from being nervous and shy to being really outgoing and being interesting and successful. And so I knew that that I, I kind of wanted to help. So I went back to Marianne and I said, hey, you know, this stuff really works. Can you train me or, or do you need some help? I mean, I'll, I'll do whatever you need. And she said, you know, I am looking for a salesperson. <laughs> and so I became her first salesperson out in, out in West Texas. And I was with that company. I was with the Dale Carnegie company for about six years. And and uh, during that six-year time period, 
I, I, the first three years or so, I was I was basically just in sales. Although I was I was working with some of the best instructors in the world. These were people that were were phenomenal at helping people create behavior change, and, and they still are, by the way. Fantastic organization. And um, um, so, so, uh, and so for the first three years I was in sales. The next three years I was still doing sales, but I was also doing a lot of instruction. I was doing training. And uh, when I when I left the company after about six years or so, I had I had been recognized on three separate occasions for superior instruction. So you know, being in the top tiers of of their instructors, and uh, they they would. They would put out a rating every year of the the salespeople that made the that generated the most revenue for the company, and I was I think when I left I think it was thirty out of three thousand so I was I was way up at the top of the of the list and and I, I think the different you know because up until that point the, the the success that I had especially in sales and the little bit that I'd done keep teaching and coaching as as a manager it was it was coming as a result of the training that I had, and and I was I had I was basically continuing to study. I was reading books left and right. I would read a book a week. I'd read about fifty books a, a year, and uh, I also had when I was in sales. I would when I would go from sales call to sales call in my car. I'd put in tapes or CDs of motivational speakers and trainers, and I was learning the whole time. I was constantly feeding myself with positive stuff. And and so I, I knew that it wasn't just the initial training that I had, but it was the continuing training that I was generating that was causing me to to continue to to, to get those strides and and uh, become better and better at what I was doing, and that really crystallized when I got to the to that company because I knew that every single person that that was a salesperson or instructor for that company had been through the same training that I had been through. But I still got to the top of that tier as well, and and the the reason why is because I wasn't just relying on what I learned from their training. I was I was looking for experts from all kinds of different industries. I was looking from and I was I was continuing to grow, and that's what really that's what I think that's what really kind of made me successful not only as a as a business person but also as a as a speaker and trainer. Um, one of the 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 main thing that a lot of times folks will kind of say, well, why did you leave? I mean, you were there for six years, and and by the way, I love the company, and, and it's still a fantastic organization. But I kind of noticed something that was it was so apparent, and it's funny how the things that happen to you in your life cause triggers that allow you to see things more clearly. And when I was at Carnegie, one of the things that I noticed was during the this was during the dot com boom, so the boom and bust of the of the late nineties. And one of the things that I noticed at Carnegie was the same thing that had happened at Arco. Arco was this big, huge Fortune 4 company that was so successful that it became very difficult to make changes and very difficult to adapt to the marketplace. So when the price of oil started to drop, they had a difficult time adapting. The smaller companies like, like Dave's company and the, and, the, and the company I work for in Big Spring, the, they, they were able to adapt because they were smaller and more nimble, Carnegie was the same way. Carnegie had three thousand salespeople and about a thousand. Inst- I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, three thousand salespeople and a thousand instructors. And so, if they wanted to make a single change to any one of their classes, it took years. It took years, 
And when the dot-com craze started hitting, the marketplace was changing so fast that they had a very, very difficult time keeping up with it. And so I saw that as an opportunity, and, and I said, I, I, if I'm ever going to start my own company, this is the time to do it. So in 2000, I went out and started the, the Leaders Institute, and basically I, I kind of took some of the, the positive things that I had learned from, I don't know, probably about 200 different sources, and I, catalog, and, I, and I cataloged them into a single class that we call Fearless Presentations, and it worked. It worked really well. I, it, the reason why it worked so well for us, by the way, was that was that um, what I was doing was I, I started out with with pretty good content in the beginning. I kind of because I had the training at Carnegie and because I had been a manager and because I had been in sales. I, I kind of I, I I knew what worked, especially what I knew what was working in the new marketplace, and and as a result, I was kind of putting that into my classes. But I was also adapting very quickly. So that very first class, although it was really good, it wasn't perfect. And so what the things that worked in that first class I kept and the things that didn't work as well, I kind of took out and replaced them with something else. And I did that again and I did that again and I did that again and I did that again. So in the first two or three years, although the first class was really good, that by the end of that third year, the class was excellent. I mean, the Fearless Presentations class became so good so fast because of those adaptations that, that we were making. Now, it wasn't all, you know, glamorous and rosy. You know, when I started Leaders Institute, that was in March of 2000. I think my total revenue at the end of 2000 was about $27,000, and most of that came from one client. So it was a, it was a pretty meager kind of start. Um, and I think the next year, I think we topped out at about 70000 in revenue and and in 2003, I think we hit about 250, 300,000, something like that. So we were, gro- but but the thing is, is that we were growing, or I was growing anyway, because it was just me up until 2003. I, I was growing, doubling my income every single year, and I did that over and over and over and over again. So the time that we hit, you know, 2005, 2006, we we uh, broke a million dollars for the first time. And we had about 12 different instructors and. And I think by 2007, we were doing 200 fearless presentations classes every single year around the world. We were in pretty much every major city in the United States and Canada. Plus, we were, all, we were also doing a lot of classes in Europe at the time. And, and folks were asking us to come to, to different parts of the world as well. And and like I said, it wasn't it wasn't. It wasn't perfect because in those first few years, it was it was quite a struggle. I mean, I can, I can remember. I, it's kind of a funny story, but I, the the first year, two thousand and three, was when I first started bringing on contract instructors. I didn't even have any full time employees. I had some some instructors that I had trained to teach the fearless presentations class, and and so they would they were teaching in some of the cities that that were it was easier for them to get to than me. And so I, I started making money for the first time. So so the bank account, instead of being kind of in in the very low or negative <laughs> balance, it was it was uh, in the positive realm. And I knew that the whole time that I was working for other people, I I, I never really felt like I was getting paid what I was worth, you know, I mean, and, and so I wanted to make sure that the folks who were working for the Leaders Institute were well compensated. So at the end of 2003, I wrote bonus checks for like Christmas bonuses, which I think is probably illegal, but <laughs> because they were contract instructors, but, you know, I wanted, I wanted to reward my, the, the folks that had, uh, had been there for me in that first year. And after I wrote the checks, I realized that I had made a mistake and, um, and, 
I didn't actually have enough money in the bank to cover those checks. And my little brother was getting married that in December of 2003, and I was his best man. So my wife and my daughter and I were we flew into Orlando and. And I'd already realized that I'd made that mistake, and and I knew that if if my contractors started cashing those checks before I got back, and before I deposited something else into that bank account, that there was we were going to be way overdrawn, and um, I, so I was panicking the whole time that I was at my brother's my brother's uh, um, wedding and reception and everything. I was I, I was just very nervous that that when I got back I wasn't going to have a company left. And I, I remember that we went to the Rainforest Cafe one night, and uh, my, you know, my, my brother invited us all. I mean, with the whole family, and and you know, I, he was doing he was doing okay. He wasn't making a ton of money, so it wasn't like he was going to pay for everybody to go. And it was a fairly expensive menu for for us anyway at the time. And I remember my daughter, who was you know a toddler at the time, and my wife and I splitting an appetizer and drinking water because. Just so we had enough money to get back home, we had to be able to get a taxi to get back home when we when we got home. So it was, and and then uh, when when we got when we landed at at DFW Airport, we went straight to the to the post office box, and I, and I remember saying a little prayer before I opened up the the post office box. Just say, please God, please let there be a, uh, some nice big checks that we've been waiting for in our accounts receivables. And I and I opened, the, you know, I turned the key and opened up the door and kind of peeked in and there was it was stacked and and there were three pretty good sized checks that we'd been waiting for 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 a couple of months and I rushed down to the to the to the bank deposited those things and it, it was funny I remember v- vividly that whole progression and from that point on the success of fearless presentations just exploded I mean, we went from teaching five, six, seven, eight classes a year to, like I said, a couple of years later, doing 200 classes a year, and uh, and we've never looked back. So never had to worry about money. Never had to worry, and been able to to uh, highly compensate my instructors and salespeople for for years, and 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 attract really some of the most powerful instructors in the world to fearless presentations as a result of it. So, um, w- what we did was we created a pattern for success. And when you create that pattern for success, your success becomes automatic. We just did the same thing over and over and over again, and it and it and it it's foolproof, right? So, and that's what I would suggest that you do as well. I mean, if you if you if you're having some of those struggles, if you're in one of those situations where things aren't going as well as what you want them to, whether that's in public speaking or in in business or whatever it is, realize that a lot of times these challenges that you're that you're experiencing. Are just learning opportunities. There, there are situations that you'll look back on a year or two from now, and you'll go, "Man, that was a life-changing experience." That that thing that seemed so terrorizing at the time, or that thing that seemed like such a bad deal for me back when it happened, is actually been one of the more positive things that ever happened to me. And that's that's what's happened in my life and my career, and I hope you have the the same experience. So, um, hey, by the way, I mean, uh, if you if you're if if you're inspired by, you know, maybe some of my successes or or maybe you're just kind of sitting out there going, God, that guy's a doofus, you know, how man, if you're if you're thinking, God, that guy's a doofus, 
then that's all the more reason why what I'm saying is true then. Because if I can do this, anybody can do it, right? I mean, if a doofus like me can do this, geez, anybody can be a professional speaker. But if you're, if you're inspired, then make sure and, and connect with me. Let me know. I mean, let me know what if, you're, if you've kind of uh, subscribed to the podcast, if you're listening to the podcast. Um, you can connect with me on Facebook, on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, LinkedIn is probably my favorite. I mean, I don't check Facebook as much as, as some of the others. But if you send me a, a message on LinkedIn or you ask me to connect on LinkedIn, I'm, I'm, I, I always accept. So uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. Follow my Twitter feed. Uh, Twitter feed will anytime we have new podcasts come out, it always shows up on on the Twitter feed, so it lets you know. Uh, and and also um, subscribe to the podcast because that's the best way to kind of keep in touch with the new stuff that we're creating and the the new ideas that are that are that are being generated out in the marketplace. So I hope you enjoyed you know kind of hearing my story and and. Hopefully, kind of let you laugh a little bit, uh, and uh, and we'll see you on future Fearless Presentations podcasts. Subscribe to this podcast for new public speaking secrets each week.